Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Pfizer's vaccine approved for children. We are looking at how to do it most efficiently. How 12 to 17-year-olds could get the shot by the end of the school year. Vaccine passports at university. Here's an incentive. You'll be able to go to college if you become vaccinated. The back-to-school requirement at some American campuses. Will Canadian schools enroll too? And a red dress protest. The red dresses symbolize the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls uh, who have gone missing over the years. The symbolism and significance of this ongoing fight for justice. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A lot of buzz among parents today with news. Canada has become the first country in the world to approve the Pfizer vaccine for children aged 12 and up. Aaron MacArthur explains why that decision was made and when children in BC might be eligible. Just as vaccine delivery is ramping up, the number of people eligible to receive a shot is increasing too. Canada, now the first country in the world to authorize the Pfizer vaccine for children aged 12 to 15. While younger people are less likely to experience serious cases of COVID-19, having access to a safe and effective vaccine will help control the diseases spread to their families and friends. Data from Pfizer's clinical trial of about 2,000 adolescents showed the efficacy for this younger group was 100%. But some hesitancy is expected. UBC researchers have found getting children back to normal routines is a primary focus for a majority of parents willing to get their children vaccinated. 65% said, yes, we're going to put it in the arms of our children. And... I think that today, after seeing vaccines going into the arms of adults in our communities and changing the picture of this pandemic, maybe even more parents are planning to do that. Other provinces have already made it clear this age group will become a priority, mostly to get kids back to school. BC's plans yet to be finalized, but the provincial health officer says it's important to distribute the vaccine based on the primary risk factor, which is age. They're an important group that we do want to get protected as soon as we can. So we're working out how do we do that and how do we do it in the most efficient way possible. So yes, there's lots of possibilities, including uh, making sure we can get that done uh, prior to end of school this year. The FDA in the U.S. has indicated it will follow Canada's lead and include 12-year-olds in its schedule next week. The next step is for younger children to be studied, which the manufacturers are doing right now. So far, a much slower process. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Bring in our Keith Baldry now for more on this change and the potential impact, Keith, on BC's immunization mm-hmm. plan when it comes to second doses, when you bring in you know, hundreds of thousands of more people into the queue. 
Yeah, so about 300,000, a little more than 300,000 kids aged 12 to 17 who weren't part of the immunization program now will be part of it. Raises a question, do we have enough vaccines on hand to be, meet this now new surge of demand in the coming weeks? And the an basic answer is we are going to have a lot of doses in May and June. Take a look at the numbers here. We've shown them to you before. I just want to remind you, in May, we're going to have 1.24 million doses at least. Then in June, Pfizer is going to increase their weekly doses even more, 1.3 million doses there. And we don't know how much AstraZeneca, Janssen, and Moderna are going to come. We're, the expectation, likely hundreds of thousands of doses from those three vaccines as well. You put it all together, it still means even with the influx of school kids, about 300,000, we're going to be able to get at least one dose in the arms of all British Columbians before the end of June, a point again made by Dr. Bonnie Henry. We are looking at how to do it most efficiently. The, the good news is we have a lot of vaccine coming if all goes as, as planned in the next few months. So between uh, May and June, um, we will have quite a lot of vaccine. So we should be able to um, fit this into our program um, and still reach that goal of having at least a first dose um, into the entire population uh, by the end of June. Now, before you can get vaccinated, of course, you have to get registered, and you're going to be hearing that from Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix at their briefing tomorrow, an emphasis on the call to get registered. Uh, already more than 2 million people have registered, and the number is going up significantly each and every day. So you're going to be hearing incessantly from those uh, two officials the need to get uh, registered to get your vaccine in the coming weeks. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. All right, B.C. has recorded its lowest daily COVID-19 count in six weeks. We have 572 new cases confirmed in the last day, bringing our total to nearly 133,000. That's the fewest new infections daily since March 20th. And some more good news. There have been no new deaths. There's also been a drop in hospitalizations. 481 are in hospital, that's down five, and 161 patients are in the ICU, a decrease of 12. And active cases have also dropped below 7,000. Well, the province is making a push to convince British Columbians that all the approved COVID vaccines are safe and are the key to getting us through this pandemic. That includes messaging for expectant mothers who are now being prioritized to get a shot. But as Sarah McDonald reports, there's still some hesitancy among mothers-to-be. Danielle McManus feels confident about her choice to get the COVID-19 vaccine, not only for her health, but that of her unborn baby too. The risk certainly of getting COVID outweighed the potential risks of the vaccine at this moment. The 35-year-old first-time expectant mother is now among the nearly 2 million British Columbians who've had their first dose, with pregnant people now prioritized province-wide. Is this your first COVID vaccination today? It is, yes. But still, many expectant parents have hesitations when it comes to getting the jab. I stayed very open to both sides of, you know, thoughts, feelings, ideas. Um, and thankfully, I was able to kind of come to a conclusion that I'm confident with, that I feel really good about it. That's a decision that medical experts are encouraging all pregnant people to reach, offering reassurance that while there's no long-term data yet, the vaccine is believed to be not only safe but beneficial to those expecting and their babies. Pregnancy is a pretty demanding state for the human body, and so you add an infection on top of that, and they're at increased risk of running into a complication. Infectious disease specialist Dr. Chelsea Elwood has heard the concerns firsthand from patients when it comes to balancing potential risks and benefits. Her advice? Follow and trust the science. We have to spend a lot of time myth-busting about whether that is 
accurate or not accurate. We recommend any of the COVID vaccines at any time in pregnancy and with breastfeeding. You're okay. A philosophy followed by Dr. Megan Gilley, who was fully vaccinated by her third trimester and gave birth to a healthy baby boy, Henry. Weeks later. There you go. It's just bright. I was near tears um, that I w was able to get my vaccine. Um, and to be able to do that before Henry was born was just really exciting um, with the possibility of antibodies going from my body to his as well. Living proof not only of a healthy prenatal and postpartum experience post-vaccine, but the added peace of mind for some because of it. Sarah McDonald, Global News. The debate over vaccine passports has reached Canada's university campuses. A number of American post-secondary schools have announced students will have to prove they've been vaccinated to be able to attend classes next fall. Richard Zussman has the latest on whether that might happen in B.C. Laptops, textbooks, knapsacks have long been university campus essentials. Now add something new to that list a COVID-19 vaccine. Here's an incentive. You'll be able to go to college if you become vaccinated. Washington State, the University of Washington, and many other campuses across the United States will be requiring a COVID-19 shot to go to class, live in dorms, and experience campus life. You are good to go, girl. You are fully vaccinated. But on this side of the border, a different story. BC will be welcoming students back to post-secondary campuses as well but no shot required. My recommendation will not be to make it mandatory. But what will be happening at British Columbia schools is a big push to vaccinate. Those on the University of Victoria's campus supportive of this notion. The government's not implementing it, so it's up to folks to get vaccinated. Um, I'm definitely going to be vaccinated. You want to be careful you're not infringing on people's rights too much or discriminating against people for maybe certain medical conditions. At BC schools, there will be vaccination clinics and targeted immunization campaigns are planned. Certainly we are looking at making sure it's available to people, particularly students who come from other countries. Uh, we should be able to return to a large degree uh, to face-to-face -face instruction, but we're monitoring it very carefully. One thing students and staff should anticipate when returning to campus in September is a robust mask policy as well as controlling the traffic inside of buildings. Three quarters of our students come from somewhere else to experience campus life and to, and to feel you know, a part of something bigger. And we have two cohorts of first-year students, basically, that have missed out on that opportunity, so we can't wait to welcome them back to campus. The post-secondary institutions are still working with public health to finalize what the return to school plan looks like. But even without required vaccine, it will be a lot less Zoom rooms and a lot more classrooms. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A young woman is dead and a man in custody after Metro Vancouver's fifth shooting in less than a week. The latest victim was targeted at home, but police have a warning for those who continue to put everyone at risk by taking aim in very public places. Amadagahi reports. It was 8.58 Tuesday night when Surrey RCMP swarmed this Guilford neighborhood. Only five minutes had passed since someone called 911. The quick response, crucial in arresting a suspect, but nothing could be done to save the victim. A 20-year-old woman shot in her own home, dying later in hospital. Come morning, neighbors don't know what to think. Why do people have guns here? Like, you know, that's, uh, that's a huge concern. Concerning, yeah. <laughs> Especially when you start hearing actually what happened. Like, it's pretty close to home. 
It has almost become routine for people in Metro Vancouver, hearing of gun violence almost every day for the past week. On Friday, a 19-year-old was brought to Surrey Memorial with gunshot wounds. Doctors couldn't save him. On Saturday, a brazen, targeted killing of a BC correctional officer, Bikrandeep Randawa, outside a shopping centre in Delta. Sunday, a 25-year-old woman shot in Burnaby. Her condition serious at first, now stable. A man in his 40s arrested and charged. Monday, more chaos and gunshots, this time outside a Toys R Us at Willowbrook Mall in Langley. The victim, a man with potential life-threatening injuries. And finally, Tuesday night's shooting in Guilford, prompting a press conference with harsh words. If you are a member of the community who is placing others willfully at risk, you're a disgrace to our community. You're not welcome here and assurance that police are gearing up and ready for what may be next. You see armored uh, carrier vehicles and gang, you know, cops and emergency response teams. We're always prepared to answer this reckless violence that we've seen. What investigators are now focusing on is trying to nail down what they call the nature of the relationship between the victim and the suspect here. How do they know each other? They weren't family, and what police also think they know is that they weren't intimate either. Police don't know the victim, but are more familiar with the suspect, a man in his 20s with gang ties who is currently in custody. Emadagahi, Global News. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team says its officers are working around the clock on the investigation into the death of Trina Hunt and are likely to have an update soon. The remains of the 48-year-old Port Moody woman were found in Hope at the end of March, more than two months after her disappearance. On Saturday, police confirmed foul play is suspected in her death. IHIT says it has been inundated with calls from the public about the case. Right. Homicide investigations touch all of us, but this one in particular um, seems to have really touched the heartstrings of a lot of people. A lot of people who didn't know Trina, right? Um, so I suppose we're grateful for that people are engaged. People want to know what happened. People want justice for her, for her family. Okay. Um, I'll confirm this one thing for you. Uh, no one's in custody with respect to that. Not yet anyways. Hunt was reportedly last seen by her husband at their Heritage Mountain home in the early morning hours of January 18th. Well, communities around the province are joining others across Canada to honour missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls on Red Dress Day. This year, some of the families waiting for justice are finding allies among a group of B.C. high school students. Linda Aylesworth has more. It was a solemn crowd that gathered on the lawn outside Vancouver City Hall and its sites throughout North America to observe the National Day of Awareness for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. They're all sisters, they're mothers, they're grandmas and great-grandmas and aunties. I just don't understand why there's not more done. Over a thousand Indigenous women and girls have been murdered over the last 30 years in Canada, with the exception of a few sensational cases like those involving serial killer Robert Picton, most receive little attention. We want to raise awareness about the, about the injustice that our women are faced with. Racism and indifference still too often prevail, but strides have been made. There are allies out there, and, and thank you to all those allies that are out there that are that are educating themselves, educating themselves to our history. 
allies like the students at Dr. Charles Best Secondary School in Coquitlam. I actually learned about it from Miss Leslie, my social justice teacher. Uh, before, I wasn't quite aware of it. One of the tenets of the course is to not only turn students um, into allies, but empower them to be activists. Which is why they're hanging red dresses, which have become a symbol of this day, along the street outside their school for all to see. The red dresses symbolize the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls uh, who have gone missing over the years. The risk of an Indigenous woman or girl being murdered or going missing Missing is as much as 10 times higher than in the non-indigenous population. I don't know when Canada's going to ever change for Aboriginal people, but it's time they change. It's time they recognize us. Every life matters, and when it comes to this, we need to put more effort into it. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Well, here is something you don't see every day, right next to downtown Vancouver. At around noon, Vancouver police and conservation officers responded after a black bear was seen wandering near the PNE. A couple of hours later, it appeared on the train tracks near Gastown. It was eventually tranquilized and relocated. While bears in the city are a rare occurrence, they're not unheard of because they tend to travel along green belts. I heard some yelling, and... Hearing yelling isn't unusual, but it sounded a little different. So I uh, looked to the window and I, down the way, there was uh, some officers that were standing around yelling and waving and one of them had a gun and uh, another one was throwing rocks and wasn't quite sure what they were doing or throwing rocks at. So I was thinking there was some kind of training exercise. Uh, and then I followed and I looked and I realized they were throwing the rocks towards me and right beneath me was a bear. Wow. Well, up next, it's not fair. Another summer without the PNE. Why the theme park is throwing in the towel and what happens to all those young workers who won't get jobs? That next on the news hour. A retirement celebration at Canada Post that delivered a cruel blow. How it turned into a super spreader event coming up on the news hour. And how this B.C. pub planted the seeds of success, helping it survive the pandemic later. Right now, though, following announcements from the Celebration of Light and Bard on the Beach this week, the PNE has confirmed now that for the second year in a row, it will not have a regular fair this summer. And as Jordan Armstrong reports, that also means thousands of people are now scrambling to find a job. Food Row will stay quiet another year. No vendors. No super dogs, no concerts, no fair. It was devastating to actually come to the realization that no version of what we were hoping for would be possible. It's been months of grim news for the PE. The year end debt could hit $15 million. But organizers were still clinging to hope of a scaled down in person fair. At least they were until Monday, when Dr. Bonnie Henry said this There will not be big events where there's lots of crowds of people. And there is so many people that depend on the PE for summertime employment. 9,500 direct and indirect jobs. The PE, the province's largest employer of youth. Finding a summer gig elsewhere will be tough, if not impossible. Just look at the quiet streets of Gastown. On the North Shore, Capilano Suspension Bridge remains open, but isn't in hiring mode. The numbers don't allow it. Typically, a weekday in the beginning of May, we would see probably over 3,000 people a day here. Yesterday, we saw 150. 
Now, there is help for the industry's young seasonal workforce, says BC's jobs minister, in the form of a $45 million training and job opportunity program. Young people that are looking for employment can go to WorkBC. There is programming available. They have information available about the Future Leaders program that we've launched. The P&E, which spends $6 million a year just to maintain the Hastings Park site, is also hoping for help from the provincial government, asking for $8 million of the $100 million announced in the B.C. budget for tourism relief. It's still waiting for an answer. We are the place where British Columbians have come after the Great Depression, after the First World War and after the Second World War to come together again. And um, we are very dedicated to being that place again. So to have to ask for help is incredibly hard. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Let's hope it's back next year. For sure. Up next, a few precious seconds to prepare for the big one. The earthquake early warning system that could save lives. And Canada's hockey culture takes a major hit with a survey exposing the sport's dark side. Traffic is moving well over here at the Patello Bridge in both directions, which is some minor delays southbound down McBride through the Queen's Park stretch. From home to car insurance, BCAA's local experts are here for all your insurance needs. Visit BCAA.com. Interest you listening in Global One at the Patello Bridge. Construction work is now underway on the public alarm system along the Capilano River. Foundation work and posts are being installed ahead of the installation and testing of the alarms next week. Metro Vancouver is putting in the alarm system following the accidental release of water from the Cleveland Dam back in October. Five people were swept away. A father and son were killed in that incident. If you were anywhere near your cell phone just before 2 o'clock this afternoon, you were most likely startled, like a lot of people were, by a test of the province's emergency alerting system. But as Kylie Stanton reports, an even more elaborate system went live along the U.S. West Coast this week. Some questioning why we don't have it here yet. Right on time, this popped up on phones, TVs and radios across the province. What's meant to alert British Columbians of an emergency. But this was just a test. No action is required. And that's as good as it's going to get, at least for now. Things are starting to happen. Um, It's very exciting. Canada is in the process of developing its earthquake early warning system. And while it's not expected to be operational until 2024, you don't have to go far to see it in action. The Shake Earthquake Early Warning System is live for public alerting. Washington State launched its system Tuesday, now up and running on the entire U.S. West Coast. And here's how it works. A network of sensors has been installed to detect primary or P waves that move faster than secondary or S waves, which cause the destructive ground shakes. Detecting those first P waves lets warning systems send out alerts that S waves are about to strike. Cell phone users are notified while automated systems are triggered, ultimately saving lives. Things like opening a fire hall door, uh, moving elevators to the nearest floor, stopping trains, stopping planes from landing. In communities like Tofino, where tsunami warning systems are now well-established and proven to work, 
Officials say this new technology will go hand in hand. You can mitigate the damage or lessen the damage that happens during the shaking, which allows you as a community to recover better and, uh, and, and makes you more resilient as well. Canada is working with the U.S. and will be using the same software, eventually sharing data across the border. But contracts to build the new sensors on this side are all local. We announced that we will be using the uh, nanometrics Titan um, sensor. In order to make the system a reality, $10 million will be invested over the next three years. But it will also buy these few precious seconds. And in that moment, it will most definitely be worth it. And this is just one of those next steps that's going to help make things safer. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Good news, but certainly we have more immediate threats. Coming up, when it comes to following COVID guidelines, some Canada Post workers mailed it in. I am extremely disappointed in the workers over at Canada Post. COVID consequences after a retirement party that never should have happened. And settling a score the old-fashioned way, the shocking start to the Rangers-Capitals hockey game. Join Global BC as we gene up this May to support BC Children's Hospital Foundation. Grab those jeans, post that pic, and donate at geneup.ca. And let's help BC kids get out of their hospital gowns and back into their jeans. Counterflow is out and traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Massey Tunnel. Keep in mind that there are lane closures for overnight maintenance between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Today's Lotto 649 jackpot is an estimated $19 million plus an additional guaranteed $1 million prize. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. The scheduled court date for a notorious anti-masker was postponed because he is showing symptoms of COVID-19. A pre-trial conference for Mac Parhar has been scheduled for 2 p.m. or had been scheduled for 2 p.m. this afternoon. But when Parhar arrived at New West Provincial Court, he indicated he had COVID symptoms during screening. He was later allowed to enter the building without a mask and set a date for a new hearing by phone. Parhar is facing a string of charges for allegedly contravening the Quarantine Act and failing to comply with health orders when he arrived back in Canada in October after attending a Flat Earth convention in the U.S. Now to a retirement party at a Canada Post plant in Ontario, one of the busiest plants in the country. It led to a COVID-19 outbreak. It was held with the blessing of local management, apparently, and photos of the event have now made their way online. Sean O'Shea has more. Hundreds have tested positive here at one of Canada's largest mail sorting plants. But on a day when more than 4,200 new cases were reported in Ontario in early April, COVID-19 didn't stop a retirement celebration at the postal plant, the Gateway facility. Global News obtained these photos from an employee. We blurred the faces, but many were not wearing masks, and many more were seemingly not adhering to social distancing. Sean, Sean, you are painting an incredibly irresponsible situation. I am extremely disappointed in the workers over at Canada Post. Canada Post admits the party happened. A spokesman told us a brief gathering was held for a retiring colleague in Gateway West in early April. Adding, while we appreciated the physical distancing and other measures were apparently followed, we simply do not allow gathering within the facility for any reason. But according to the pictures and an attendee, measures weren't followed. And two managers were present at the celebration, which went on for nearly an hour, with pizza, cake and close contact. Later, two women in the pictures tested positive for COVID-19. And it's not the only party. 
On April 21st, there was another on shift three at the Toronto Exchange Office, a different Canada Post facility. Six days later, there was an outbreak of cases there, and Public Health ordered Canada Post to send the whole shift home for 10 days. Mississauga's mayor says celebrations here, now, make no sense. This is shocking news, Sean. This is incredibly irresponsible. If they had a house party, there would be no different. We would have been over there and ticketing it. Sean O'Shea, Global News. Three Canadians have now died from the vaccine-induced blood clotting disorder linked to the AstraZeneca shot. New Brunswick health officials say a person in their 60s developed symptoms a week after being vaccinated and died in hospital. On Tuesday, Alberta's chief medical officer confirmed a woman in her 50s died from the so-called VITT after receiving the AstraZeneca vaccine. And last month, a Quebec woman was the first Canadian to pass away from the rare blood clotting disorder. Health officials say the risk of developing VITT is about 1 in 100,000 and that the benefits are by far greater. The World Health Organization and the BC Centre for Disease Control have finally updated their websites to acknowledge that COVID is in fact spread by aerosols and not just the larger droplets that tend to fall within a meter's distance of those infected. Aerosols are much smaller and they can drift in the air like smoke. They do disperse quickly outdoors, but not in poorly ventilated indoor settings. Hundreds of scientists have been saying this for almost a year. It's not something new. This is something that we thought was true. We behaved as if it was true. And now that the rules reflected, it kind of reinforces that the decisions that we have been making that have led to reduced disease transmission and the guidelines that are in place to tell us not to get together with too many people indoors for any length of time make a lot more sense. Conway says the focus now must be on vaccinations, more testing to identify hotspots, and a continued strict adherence to public health guidelines, especially gathering indoors for prolonged periods of time. Up ahead, a day of reckoning at local rinks, a shocking assessment of racism and misogyny at all levels of Canadian hockey. And a BC pub growing its business quite literally during the pandemic. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Billions of computer users all over the world could soon be getting a little bit more BC in their lives. That's right. After 15 years, Microsoft is planning to replace Calibri as the default font in its popular Office software suite. Five font options are being considered, including one named Skeena after the BC River. All five are now available as drop-down options, and the software giant will be launching a series of polls to choose the new default, which will be installed as part of a software update in 2022. I mean, of course, I would vote for Skeena because it's BC, but Calibri is my go-to. Calibri's good. I like, you know, Skeena looks good. Tenorite, I take them all. I really had to look closely to see the difference. To really see the difference in them. Fonts, it's a science, isn't it? Right. You know who loves science? True, very true. <laughs> Christy, it looks good out there. 
Yes, actually, it's really brightened up now. It was a pretty gray day, but still a nice day in that it was dry and mild across the region. Uh, but it's certainly much brighter now that the sun is setting and we're seeing a little bit more of that sunshine. Uh, we do have rain in the forecast for tomorrow. I'm going to show you how much and when you can expect it. We're also going to have a look at your Mother's Day forecast, the all-important Mother's Day forecast, because mothers always like to go for walks, don't they? First of all, let's have a look at your photos. Great ones from last night during the sunset. This one looking out from Nanaimo some gorgeous orange shoes people out on the dock enjoying that and sunset right now is at 8 35 a couple of paddle boarders thanks to paul wiki for that one so 8 35 is a sunset we're getting over 14 hours of daylight each day this was the sunrise this morning from uh doug's back deck pretty nice uh view from your back deck there in chilliwack and this one from texada island also from this morning so red skies in the morning sailors take warning yes we're in for rainfall so here's a look the chance of rain will ramp up tomorrow afternoon for Metro Vancouver. We still do have a chance in through the morning hours, but much better through the afternoon hours. And then it eases off late in the day Friday. We're not expecting a ton of rain, 5 to 15 millimeters of rain, with the bulk of that, once again, tomorrow afternoon and into the early evening hours. Nonetheless, it could be heavy for a brief period as this band moves in. It hits the west coast of Vancouver Island in the morning and then shifts inland into the afternoon hours. And then we will see it ease off on Friday, but we still do have a chance of showers. So there you go, the rain across the north coast, the central coast, inland regions, some showers, but really the bulk of the moisture will fall along coastal regions, especially that west coast of Vancouver Island and into the Sunshine Coast area as well. But we'll see it in the afternoon tomorrow with highs of 16 degrees. Hopefully some breaks of blue sky in the afternoon on Friday. And then looking into your Mother's Day weekend, it looks like we could get some sunshine on Sunday. We still do have a chance of showers in the morning. We're still four days out. So keep tuning back in. And here's tonight's central windows weather window. An ode to the old time BCTV logo with the dogwood there. Beautiful shot with the mountain in the background. Thank you to Margarita for that one. Oh, awesome. Love that logo. And Margarita. Very cool. <laughs> well, it may be Canada's favorite sport, but a new survey finds many Canadians believe the culture surrounding hockey is tainted by issues of misogyny and racism. John Hua has more on the core concerns raised and how diversity and inclusion can strengthen the game going forward. Whether it's a perfect pass or the dreaded early morning practice. It's just really fun and it makes me happy. Sophie Hebert loves everything about the good old hockey game. She was about two, and then she said, I'm going to play hockey. Well, actually, she said she's going to be a hockey player. The 10-year-old also decided she'd rather play with boys on the Fraser Valley Kings. We don't regret it. She loves it, and she doesn't feel that she's never been treated differently. Well, Hasegawa hopes that stays the same wherever Sophie laces up her skates. A new Angus Reid survey shows there are key concerns even among those connected to hockey culture. For many Canadians, there is a lived experience around life around the rink. At a time when Vancouver Canucks forward Jake Vertanen has been placed on leave amidst a sexual misconduct investigation. Leipzig shoots, she scores! And derogatory comments in a leaked group text cost Brendan Leipzig his NHL career. I was shocked that um, the people that I knew we're talking about me this way. When asked if young hockey players exhibit misogynistic behavior, well, 52% of those surveyed agreed. Ask women ages 18 to 34 with youth hockey experience, 
and that number climbs to 65 percent. We've been hearing a lot organically from players, their hockey moms or hockey girlfriends, talking about some of these issues. Racism has been embedded in our society for far too long. A year after the Hockey Diversity Alliance fought to be heard by the NHL, when asked whether hockey has a racism problem, half of the respondents said yes. That number climbs to 57% among visible minorities. I think it's important for little kids to have uh, a role model who looks like them because it makes them want to work harder for what they want. When asked if the sport in general is too expensive for everyone to play, here's the unfortunate score. Well, 88% agrees there's a cost barrier. Only 9% believes everyone can afford to play. Enrollment in, in kids hockey and youth hockey, it's still very, very strong, but it's been declining. While there's no doubt this is Canada's sport, hopefully there's a game plan to strengthen these areas to keep up with the changing face of hockey. John Hua, Global News. The girl can skate. She, she sure, sure can. can. Yeah. She stops just when you ask her to stop, too. It's <laughs> okay. perfect for the camera. Um, you know, there's a lot of organizations that try to help um, kids who come from families of lesser means to get them in the game. But sometimes I wonder how many kids get left behind who would have been great players just because mm. their families don't have the money. Because hockey is an expensive sport to play, no doubt about it. Yeah. Okay, so after a bad night last night, when two of his giveaways turned into Edmonton Oiler goals. Travis Green defended JT Miller. This guy wants to win. Make no bones about it. He plays hard. When asked if Miller should be benched for such errors, Travis Green was quick to say no. We'll give you uh, much more of what he said. And a different kind of watering hole. The perfect blend of plants and pints helping this pub survive the pandemic. All right, Squires here with sports. Tired of the brilliance of Connor McDavid? Well, <laughs> I've said it before. Mm -hmm. If you have a kid and you want him to be a star in hockey, name him Connor. <laughs> Seems that way. Yeah, it, uh, that's, uh, that's the name. Uh, the other Connor is getting lots of attention these days as well. He put on quite a show at the semifinals of the Under-18 World Hockey Championships, which are going on down in your old stomping grounds in Texas. 15-year-old uh, Connor Bedard of North Vancouver is a guy we're talking about whose skill is well beyond his age. He led the Canadians into the final by scoring three goals today in an 8-1 win over Sweden. And as often is the case with Connor Bedard, his goals are highlight reel material. Even the ones he doesn't score can be highlight reel material. I'll show you what I mean. Here we go. There he is right there. Uh, this is his first goal, opens the scoring in the second period against Sweden. He's got the puck there, number 17, gets back to him and just, look at that, just lasers it. So Connor's feeling it. Why not try the lacrosse goal? Yo, just missed. All right, that first goal was pretty good. That was impressive, but this goal is even better. Watch the shot here from Connor Bedard with a guy in his face. On the race again for the oh, man. That's NHL at the age of 15. That is something. 
Connor Bedard. Wow. We'll see him in the NHL one day, maybe with that uniform on. That would be good. Uh, now, during the Canucks 4-1 loss to Edmonton last night, two of the goals came after JT Miller gave the puck away. Now, there have been times this season when we've seen Miller make mistakes, and then you can tell it just takes the air out of him. It's almost like he stops skating when he makes those kind of mistakes, and he gets visibly upset at himself. He's one of the Canucks' best players. We all know that. So he does get a longer leash from head coach Travis Green, who was asked after last night's game, why not send Miller a message by benching him, as some other coaches do with star players. But Travis Green's not one to do that. And as you can see, Green was rather passionate about defending JT Miller. Yeah, I, would, he, would I like to see those turnovers not happen that he made tonight? For sure. Uh, I also know I got a player in the room that's not very happy about himself either. And he's down and he's ultra competitive. He's also a big engine on our team. Uh, I could bench him, I guess, but I also want to win the game too. And our team wants to win. And I'm the one that makes that call whether to bench him or not. And I didn't. I don't worry about JT Miller. He's done a lot of good things for our team since he's got here. He made some mistakes tonight. He has made some mistakes before and he'll make more mistakes. But this guy wants to win. Make no bones about it. He plays hard and I'll go to bat for him. A day after the New York Rangers called for the NHL to fire Department of Player Safety head George Peros, which the NHL didn't do, the Rangers fired two of their own executives, President John Davidson and GM Jeff Gordon. I guess team owner James Dolan really had to get someone fired, so he did it with his own guys. And if that wasn't crazy enough, the Rangers, of course, tonight were playing the Washington Capitals and Tom Wilson, who only got a $5,000 fine after going after Artemi Panarin the other night. The Rangers thought there should have been a suspension. A lot of people did. So tonight, when they started the Rangers-Washington game, it was like watching a live version of the movie Slapshot. The puck doesn't even hit the ice. There's Tom Wilson right there. And there's a fight. Not just one fight, three fights. That's Queens Park Arena stuff. And they weren't kidding around. And then Tom Wilson gets on the ice and Brendan Smith decides, it's your time now. And they go at it. There were six fights early in this game. Everybody's throwing. 100 minutes of penalties in the first minute, first period, I believe. And 4-2 the final for the Washington Capitals, but the Rangers did get some revenge, I guess. That's what happens when you don't suspend, see? John Means and the uh, Baltimore Orioles, this is the end of a no-hitter. First complete game no-hitter for that organization since the great Jim Palmer in 1969. Blanks the Mariners, 6-0. And Champions League action today. Chelsea against Real Madrid. This looks like a goal off the initial shot, but it isn't. It's off the bar. Now Timo Werner is going to put it in. 1-0 for Chelsea. Manchester City awaiting the winner of this game. And it'll be an all-English final. Because Mason Mount will score here. And Chelsea, on aggregate, is going to the Champions League final. There you go. All right, Squire, thank you. 
Let's check in with Colleen Christie now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Colleen? Uh, yeah, so if I think we got the, the memo about the red jackets tonight. Uh, the war in the woods is heating up. A confrontation between loggers and old growth protesters. Teal Jones, which owns the timber licenses around Ferry Creek, well, they have served notice to five protesters who have been blockading their access route. And now, allegations an Indigenous protester has been assaulted. Plus, her husband was gunned down in the driveway of their Cloverdale home in a case of mistaken identity. Two years later, what Darlene Bennett says about the increase in deadly shootings in the Lower Mainland. We'll have that and all the night's news coming up at 11. All right. Thanks for that, Colleen. And when we come back, plants and pints at a pub that's surviving the pandemic. Back in a moment. Well, despite the obvious pandemic challenges, the owners of the Livelihood Pub in Port Moody decided to go ahead with their scheduled opening earlier this year. But just a week after opening, the latest round of dining restrictions went into place. So now they've put their parking lot to a new use to bring in more customers and to boost their revenue, too. Catherine Urquhart reports. Serving up a pint or two is what you'd expect at a pub. But these days, Livelihood Pub is also serving up plants. We've got some hydrangeas over here. We have some small and large hanging baskets. These are our annuals. Then we have a rotating selection of vegetable plants. Only two weeks after opening in Port Moody, inside dining was banned. And while takeout has continued, along with outdoor eating, the pub wanted to do more to keep staff employed. The solution? A nursery in their parking lot. Maybe I should go get a drink and then buy the flowers. <laughs> no, this is great. It was a shift in business the owners tried last year at some of their other restaurants. The idea is now being embraced in Port Moody, where it has helped keep spirits up and allow for new connections within the community. It's been huge. I mean, the more that we can offer to everybody, it's just, it's good for everybody else. Livelihood employees are hopeful indoor dining will return soon. But for now, this pub will continue to offer its extended menu. Yes, you can. You can get a Mother's Day kit. You can uh, make a reservation for Mother's Day on the patio if the weather's good. And uh, you can get her some plants at the same time. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Love it. One-stop shopping. That's, that's going to appeal to a lot of guys, yeah. <laughs> I'm betting. All right, uh, last word on and weather women. before. And women. And yeah, women, yeah, absolutely. But, you know. Guys are dumb. They like to okay. do it, you know. Just stop digging the hole. I'll stop right now. Christy, last word on weather. <laughs> Did you notice I didn't say anything? Sure. So we are just a chance of showers in the morning, rain by the afternoon tomorrow. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, all.